With each module's curriculum, the expertise of the Inner MBA faculty moves us forward in our journey to become more wise and compassionate at work. We've created this podcast platform so that these sessions are available to you not only on the learning platform, but also here in audio format. It's our hope that having the core curriculum available in this way will enable you to experience these teachings at your own pace and in the way that works best for you. Welcome back, everyone, to our implementation module. Uh, I'm joined here, as you can see, by Anise uh, Balkwell. She's going to introduce herself in a second. And uh, hopefully by now, uh, many of you have taken the opportunity to try to practice uh, what we've talked about in the last four modules uh, and, and done this in meetings in, in with your clients, with your companies, uh, with, even with your study groups uh, within the InterMBA. Um, but there's probably some of you that are still kind of uh, on the starting line saying, okay, how do I specifically get started? Uh, and so that's the purpose of this module. And this is, as you'll hear in a second, a very experienced practitioner. And so we're hoping to deliver uh, some specific tools today so that if you are still wondering uh, how to exactly get started, this should, uh, this should help you with that and including some conversation on uh, you know, when and how to use uh, what level of community building techniques. So with that, let me uh, let Anise uh, introduce herself. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be here with you. I'll give you a little bit of context about who I am and how I came to be here with Steve at the end of his module. I met Steve, well, I first heard Steve in an interview conversation on a podcast with Tammy. And I was, I've been doing this work, this community building work for over a decade now. And when I heard that conversation, I thought it's not every day that you hear a CEO who has done this within his whole company. So I listened very intently to that podcast. And at the end of it was some marketing for the inner MBA. And so I Googled what that was. I, I looked at what the programming was and I looked at the stellar faculty that I know you have all been enjoying and I signed up. And so I was part of the first cohort. I was a student, just like all of you. And then I couldn't wait for module seven, to be honest. I was really looking forward to hearing what more Steve had to say. And when I was listening to his to his module, I pulled my team together and said, you have got to come see this video. His The process and the way that Steve built authentic community within his organization was so similar to the process that I used. And I was mind blown. It was such a cool moment. And so I, after I finished listening to the module, I thought, I got to talk to this guy. Although I was a student like all of you and I was scared and I sent Steve an email and asked him if he'd be willing to chat. And he was. And we had a few fun conversations and we really learned that the process that we use are they're so very similar, even though we come from completely different backgrounds. We didn't have one teacher that overlapped 
And I think it really speaks to the essence of this work is that it's really a human experience. Um, you can, it can, you can come at it from different angles. There isn't just one teaching modality as you're learning throughout the inner MBA. And so after, you know, about 10 years of doing this work, um, seven on my own with my own consulting company. And prior to that was with a big company, a big global organization where I started out practicing these methods, these, these practices, these tools that we're going to teach you today uh, with people, colleagues, and customers all over the world. And so that practice of really doing it with people from, it was about a hundred different countries, really instilled in me and had the confidence to, um, to do this work. It was at a human level and it seemed to work everywhere. People were leaning in to wanting to have more authentic and meaningful conversations. So that's a bit of my background. Um, one other sort of cool thing is that Steve and I are both engineers. So if engineers can head down this path, it's really open to everyone. <laughs> I think we're the hardest nuts to crack. <laughs> engineers with great uh, interpersonal skills. as both, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> um, Anyway, thanks, Anise. That, that was terrific. Uh, let me also emphasize the, uh, the point that Anise made that this works everywhere. Um, unless you saw, listened to, or saw my interview with Tammy, um, in this session, I didn't talk much about uh, who Impro Industries is, was when I ran them, still is. Um, Impro is a, a global, uh, multinational uh, industrial products manufacturing company. So we had we had locations in 50, put 50 different locations in 10 or 11 different countries around the world. And this process that we used was robust in uh, really any culture. So I do think, as Anise said, it's, it's, it's something that human, as we talked about in, I think it was module two, human, humans gravitate towards it uh, because it's not an experience that, that most, pe most people experience in the business setting very often. And so it, it seems to ring true. And maybe we'll talk more about that. Uh, that said, um, you don't have to be in a dual bottom line company like Inpro to be able to do this. Um, you can do it with your group um, and you know, in many meetings, maybe not all. Uh, it's not particularly appropriate to use in information sharing meetings. Uh, and I would say the way to think about it is the more complex the issue or bigger, like vision setting or a broad objective, or something that's really a very meaty topic. And so that's one dimension. The other dimension might be the time that the group has together. Those are obviously already related. But the longer the time that you're going to devote to something and the bigger, more complex, more ambiguous the issue is, the more these tools will help you uh, and community building will help you. However, um, many of the techniques that, that we've already covered and we'll cover today are helpful for, for any meeting, just getting people talking and, and, and letting the flavor uh, of the conversation shift to be more authentic. So, uh, anyway, I'm going to let Anise uh, introduce uh, uh, these uh, three specific tools that we're going to cover today. Thanks, Steve. We wanted to keep it really simple. And one thing to remember is we practice building community one room at a time. So it doesn't have to be rolled out to your entire organization. And the intention of this specific module that we're recording here is so that you can 
just practice today or practice tomorrow with a group of people. Because Steve mentioned, I think, early on on in this is that it's simple to talk about, but all of the learning comes from practicing. So we wanted to give you three really simple tools just to practice. And you can practice on something safe. It doesn't have to be anything scary. Just whatever topic is on your mind uh, with maybe your teammates uh, at your next team meeting. And just try these practices out in that context and just see how it feels. So the first one we're going to talk about is the circle. And this is really about the room setup, about getting people sitting and gathering literally in circle. The second one is uh, what I call transfer in and Steve calls field setting. So we'll use those two um, descriptions interchangeably. So we'll do a transfer in exercise. We'll teach you how to do that. And then the last one is about our hopes and fears. And it's, again, really simple. It's really about recording our hopes and fears and saying them out loud. So again, these are simple yet super powerful. So the first one that we'll dive into is the circle because this happens before you even set up the room. So you would go as the convener. Uh, Steve talked about a convener versus leader. So you don't have to be the leader in the room to, to give this a shot. But if you're not the leader and the leader is going to be with you, I highly recommend just having a conversation with them beforehand saying, are you willing to try out something new that I'm learning in my inner MBA course? Uh, I have a couple simple tools that I'd love to test, to experiment with at our next meeting and make sure that they're on board because I have a fun circle story that I'll share with you. And I don't want that to happen to you. So before the meeting starts, you would go into the room that you're gathering in and set up the chairs in a circle with nothing in between, no tables in between, just just the chairs. I like to have one extra chair in that circle to welcome in anyone else in the world who might be gathering in circle. It's sort of a nice reminder that you're tuning in and tapping into something a little larger, sort of this collective intelligence. And so it kind of reminds me of that um, makes, and it can make you feel like not so alone. If this, if the, if the meeting is going on for uh, enough time where you, where the group will need a break uh, either for lunch or just a bio break or whatever. We also had a practice that when folks re-entered the room and sat down in the circle, everyone had to take a different seat next to different people. Uh, because we were really trying to make it have a community feel. And those of you that attended meetings know that people like to go back to the same exact spot that they always had, which I've never fully understood, but we made that as a rule that you had to sit uh, by different people. And the circle is really symbolic and, and has a, has so much history. It's how we've gathered as humans for so long and only really recently that we stopped gathering in circle, especially in our business practices. And so it's, and it's so powerful that people feel it the second they walk into the room. And so it can feel quite uncomfortable for people because it's just not what they're used to. And, you know, I'll tell you this story just so that you're not alone. If this happens is I was, um, I was in Cyprus and we were gathering we were gathering a group of people and I sat with the regional leader the night before at dinner. And I told him exactly how we were going to meet and exactly how the room was going to be set up. And he was on board and excited and couldn't wait for the day. But when he walked in the room and there was a circle set up, he, he said it loud in front of everybody. He's like, what is this kindergarten? I thought, Oh my gosh, I talked to you last night. So that, that didn't happen. 
but he was nervous and he didn't know what else to say. And I think he just felt like he was taking a risk and it turned out awesome. At the end of the session, you know, he came up to me and said, I, you know, I can't believe what we accomplished together. We made so many inroads. He said some people left with new confidence. There was all kinds of positive things. So he was on board with the circle very quickly. But if that happens, just know people just feel uncomfortable. So let them state it and then just say, yeah, sure. Come on in. It's no big deal. Have a seat and we'll get started. Okay. So everyone is in circle. Uh, Steve, do you have any sort of stories like that? Or do you have any anything else that you want to mention about the circle before we move on to the... No, well, the only thing I would say is um, it it is a bit awkward for people in the beginning, uh, as Anise said, because they're just not used to doing it. Uh, and it is designed with no table. So everyone sitting in the chair, it is designed to make people feel naturally more vulnerable uh, and not kind of have quote unquote a table to hide behind. But um, I've done this with, with, with factory workers, uh, vertical slices through the organization. So um, I would just really encourage everyone just don't be intimidated with your own confidence of saying, yeah, this, this is, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really nice. One of the comments that happens at the end of the day, no one opened their laptop. So what the circle does is it really helps people be completely present, physically present. The next tool gets onto the um, emotional presence and the mental presence, but this one really has people being very present in the moment, which is why it feels a bit vulnerable because there's nowhere to physically hide. And so, but you don't have problems with people doing other work while we're gathering about something important. So the next step is really about bringing in that emotional space and that mental space and gathering people in so the whole human is present. And this is what we call a transfer in or Steve calls field setting. So the a transfer in exercise that I use again and again is when you go set up the circle before everybody gets there is I bring in into a deck of intuitive cards. I have just sort of an example. What does that look like? It just this is an intuitive card. It has a, a word on it and an image. There's a bunch of them. They're laying face down so that nobody knows what's on them. They're laying face down. If you don't have a deck of intuitive cards, you could use elements from nature. I have used like twigs and leaves and shells and rocks and all sorts of things from wherever you're from. So I've used that as well. You can have objects. I've used toys. You can kind of use anything. And just have that in the center of the circle. So once everyone's seated and you've welcomed everybody, say, all right, we're going to do a transfer in. I invite you to select one of the cards or the objects that are in the circle. I invite you to use your intuition to just select one, whichever one you're drawn to. And so they'll go and they'll grab that from the center of the circle and they'll bring that back to their chair. Then the next question I ask them is to take a look at the object or the card and I ask them, what does that object or card tell you about why you chose to participate today? You could use another question, but that one's sort of the simplest. Like basically, why did you come today? What does that card tell you about it? And I just give them a moment, maybe 30 seconds to just digest that. And then the next step is to invite them to pair off. So two people go and have a conversation. They can leave the circle to do this. They can turn in their chair and they can have that conversation. They give them, I don't know, depends how long your meeting is. 
five to 10 minutes to just go do that. And then the instructions I give them is to have a conversation about what the card or the object means to them about why they chose to participate. Or, you know, it could be, why is this topic important? Or you can make up the question that really makes sense for you. And they're instructed to have that conversation and to really listen closely because when they come back to the circle, they are going to introduce their partner into the circle. And and so then they go, they have this beautiful conversation, they share some wisdom, they, um, they're working hard because asking a question and making it relatable to something like an object or a card, it really makes us be fully present because it's a really challenging task for our mental capacity. You have to make meaning out of something that really doesn't have any actual meaning. You're going to create it. So it really integrates our right brain and our left brain has us really land in the moment. And it gives us an opportunity to first connect with ourselves. Cause what does that object mean to me about why I chose to be here? That's the, the question they're answering. It helps them connect with one, one another. So, or one other. So they have to listen intently. They have to come back and they have to share that little bit of wisdom that they shared. And then it connects the group as a whole because they all went through the same process. They've all stepped into listening mode, which if for most meetings, at least the meetings I've been to, everyone's in telling mode and can't wait to tell their story, right? Or tell their part. So really flipping that and people are in listening mode because they want to do a good job introducing the other person in something meaningful. So at the end of that circle, however many people you might have in there, I've done it with four people and I've done it all the way up to 200 um, grade nine girls and a grade nine girls day where we did this. So we've done it with really big groups, but the end of that circle, you've heard why everyone has come. Something meaningful has bubbled up and they, or why they think this topic is important, but you've heard something meaningful already. And so as the convener, when you do this and just go step by step, um, just notice how the room, how the space feels, how the room feels when that's done. <laughs> and Steve, I know that this is a little bit of a different way of doing a field setting and there's lots of ways that we can do it, but um, is there any sort of comments that you'd like to add or, or something different? Um, yeah, I would. I, the, the, yeah. The example, I love the intuitive cards and we used uh, cards. Sometimes we used uh, little stones that, uh, I think I shared when we did the I statement session of, of how we helped each other with I statements. We had a basket. Sometimes it had all the different, they were, I guess, intuitive stones, but they had different words on all the stones and, and folks would, would pull them out. But um, I always liked, not always, I, I used a lot the rabbi's gift and read that story. But I think, I think what I would like to highlight is, is the, the reason what we're trying to accomplish whether we call it transfer in or field setting, is really collecting the presence into the room and getting everyone to be a little bit more uh, internally focused on what really is happening for them. And so uh, I would point to a few things. One, it gets everyone's voice in the room authentically. And that's very important uh, in the beginning. And, 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 and do it when you're facilitating it. Don't be in a hurry, mm -hmm. respect and maintain silence when necessary. So 
in Anissa's example, if you ask someone to volunteer and everyone sits there, just be quiet. Sooner or later, someone will say, I'm happy to start. Don't push it. If it lasts 15 seconds, great. If it lasts a minute, great. Um, the second thing it does automatically is put everyone on the same level. Because whether, and I think I explained this when we were in the session on the rabbi's gift, there is no right and wrong answer to how to interpret it. The intuitive cards, there's no right or wrong answer. It's how any individual feels about the card. So it automatically says just because someone has hierarchical, a higher position in the company uh, who's in the circle, that doesn't make them more or less right. Everyone is the same. And so these are both very important characteristics of community building that that, uh, that that tone, if you will, gets set within the group. And so that's really what we're trying to accomplish with a field setting slash transfer in, transfer in. So. Yeah. And if you need help with the silence, because I certainly did, is I literally would take my hands, I just tuck them under my bum so that... I just reminded myself just to keep my mouth closed. And sometimes I would count it out and I would think, okay, like it's only been 15 seconds. Like it's going to be okay. But that silence isn't easy to do. So any little reminder that you might need is totally <laughs> acceptable. But that's, and I did that for years. I think I sat on my hands for years um, to just remind myself to slow down, to let the silence be safe for everyone in the room and know that it's not to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but it's really, it does so much of the work of community building that it really is a disservice if you rush through it. So just at whatever reminder you need, sitting on my hands always worked for me um, as you just, because you're slowing down the pace so that we can connect. You're slowing down that pace so that we can really hear each other, really see each other, because those are those two elements of community building. When someone feels heard and seen, it's a game changer. Yeah. Healing yeah. happens, right? It's a yeah. game changer. And, and no one is pushing for a specific answer or outcome. We're, the whole role of the convener facilitator is to, is to allow uh, things to emerge within the group. And you can't, you, you, you can't push that process. No. And I promise the outcome will be better than you could have imagined. Right. <laughs> that's always the that's always the the reward of sitting on your hands and really learning how to hold that space is that the things people say, they're so beautiful and they're so meaningful and and everyone gets better at it the more you practice. So that's why we want to just show you these steps one at a time, really simple so that you and your community that you're with in that room can decide if it was effective, decide if it was useful and helpful for you to move into that authentic community so that you create your own evidence as quickly as possible, because that's what's going to fuel you to continue to practice this. It's what's going to give you the courage to do it again and give other people in the room the courage to do it again. So that's why we wanted just these three elements of really like, how do we get started? Just you know, circle is number one, transfer in, field setting is number two, 
And then number three is hopes and fears. And this is a tool though, that especially getting started, I always love to have it as the number three, you know, step in the process because there's something so powerful about getting hopes and fears out, getting them written down. So for this one, um, if you have a challenge that you're working on or a goal that you're working towards, and maybe it's just to get your meetings to be better. Maybe you're just like, our meetings aren't that great. Let's try these tools so that we have better team meetings. It can be that simple. Then you would just say, okay, now we're going to write down what our hopes and fears are about making our meetings better. Or what are our hopes and fears about reaching this goal? What are our hopes and fears about overcoming this challenge that we're having? And if you have a small group, just do them all together. If you're sort of like six to eight, do them together or smaller. If you're over that, then break up into groups of, you know, four to kind of seven, four to six, because this part, you want everyone to get their hopes and fears out. So if the groups are too big, not everyone will share them. And again, it's not important that everyone shares, you know, one hope or one fear. It doesn't matter. You get to put as many hopes up that you want and as many fears up that you want. And so why do we do this? It's really important for a group to get their hopes out of their heart and out of their mind and onto a piece of paper so that you can see them with your eyes and you can hear them with your ears. So they get spoken out loud and they get written down. I just use flip chart paper for this um, in the meeting room. And so if you have, you know, two or three smaller groups that you're breaking up into, two or three sheets of flip chart paper is perfect um, and a set of markers. So it's, that's the only um, material that you need. You need. And we get those hopes out because it is, it's the place where we start to gain alignment in a community. We start to really hear what are our hopes about all of this? Because without stating them out loud, we make assumptions about what people's hopes are. So sometimes we assume that people have the same hopes as us, but more detrimentally, we assume people have different hopes than us. And that can be some of that invisible stuff that's getting in your way of overcoming the challenge or getting in your way of running a good meeting or meeting that goal. And so we start to get the invisible elements out into the visible. So when we start to put all the hopes out, we also start to discover that there could be so many hopes for one challenge or so many hopes for one meeting, right? And we start to honor that, oh my gosh, you're hoping that? I was hoping that too. And you start to see people really sharing what feels really important to them. So they get those out and then they can do hopes and fears all together. It doesn't have to be one than the other, just however they flow out, they flow out. So fears, why do we write down our fears? An unspoken fear is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. We will modify our behavior. We will contort our actions. We will make decisions to avoid that fear, to hope it doesn't rear its ugly head. And we do that all on our own, in our own world, in our own bubble. And so when we start to get those fears out, and again, we can see them with our eyes and hear them with our ears, and other people can see them as well, it takes so much of their power away. It doesn't mean the fear isn't going to show up. I wish I could guarantee that process, but, but I can't. The fear is it could show up. 
But what it means then is that now you have a community who knows that that fear exists, who have thought about it, who have talked about it, who have honored it. So it's easier to say, hey, this fear has emerged. What are we going to do about it? And you have access to many more conscious choices about how to address that fear, whether you're going to tackle it head on, whether you need to, you know, push it aside for a moment and just find some courage, or if there's a complex solution to it, you have a community of people now who can help you address it. You also put yourselves in a position to help one another through somebody else's fear. So maybe Steve and I don't have the same fear, but I know Steve's fear um, about this challenge is, you know, X, Y, Z, and it's popped up. Then I get to say, Hey, Steve, let me help you with that. We can tackle that together. You don't have to tackle that fear alone. Right. And we just, so then it starts to impact your over time, it starts to impact your productivity. It impacts your choices. It impacts your behavior. It impacts your culture. So this really simple tool and this practice of speaking our hopes and fears out loud has tremendous impact on the organization or on your community, but can have tremendous impact within your organization when it's used as a practice regularly. And so once people go through hopes and fears with me and they start to sort of see the power of them, I always say, you can use these for anything. If you're in a meeting and you're just like, oh, like something's stuck here. Like we can't, what's going on? Like, we're not talking on the same page. You know, that person's thinking that like, you know, you're just in that like messy spot. I always think, you know, like the fire drill, like stop, drop and roll. If there's a fire, I always think in those sticky moments, stop, drop hopes and fears. So you can be in the middle of a meeting and just say, I think if we got our hopes and fears out about this, we might see what's blocking us. We might see what's getting in our way, or we might see something that none of us are consciously aware of right now, but we need to be if we're going to overcome this. So this is a, I think it's my most favorite practice out of all of them. And, and once people use it, you know, it usually just takes once and they're like, whoa, that was cool. You know, you have that same fear. Like Steve, as the CEO, you have that same fear that I have. It starts to make everyone human. It starts to take some of those power dynamics out of the hierarchy that aren't that useful. And it starts to remind everyone that we're humans connecting here. We all have, you know, similar hopes and similar fears, or if they're widely different, well, guess what? Knowing that as early as possible is super useful as well because it'll bring a level of clarity to your conversations and to your community that you likely haven't had before. Great. Let me just add one final comment on that. Uh, you all will remember the very first module we talked about the characteristics of authentic community. And the, the, the most important one is uh, psychological safety, as I described. And so that's, in my view, why the hopes and fears is so powerful, because um, it's when it, when you're in a psychologically safe environment, uh, these fears that we all have as humans are transparent. Mm -hmm. And so by disclosing those, it's uh, it really improves the level of psychological safety because it kind of decharges, if you will, a lot of those fears. So I think it's great. So we've said do the circle. Yep. Uh, we've said transfer in or field set in some way. The cards are a great, very practical tool. And then uh, hopes and fears. So with that, um, 
good luck. And again, <laughs> I really, really encourage everyone to uh, to practice and try this. And uh, uh, because as Anise said, once you feel and witness for yourself the power of how much more effective uh, a group can be um, following these techniques, you, you'll you'll be sold because it, it really does work. It's extremely powerful. So thank and, you. And you can't get it wrong. You, you can't, can't wrong. mess this up. Right. So try them on for size. Notice how you feel. Notice how other people feel. And if you're a little sweaty when you start out and you're a little nervous and you're sitting on your hands and you're counting out your silence, just know that you're in good company. It's okay to sweat a little for this. We have all done it. Um, but you're in good company. And and I think most importantly, have some fun with it. Is that there's you got nothing to lose trying this. I think the first time I tried this, Steve, it was with a with an part of the organization who they tried two brainstorming sessions and they came up with nothing. And so the first time I did it, I thought, well, they've got nothing to lose because they didn't come up with anything the first two tries. So we just did it. So I like leaned into that. We've got nothing to lose, but you really have everything to gain in a huge way. It shifts, it shifts our concepts of productivity, creativity, efficiency. It shifts all, it starts to show what's really possible when you're working in community um, versus just, you know, not knowing how to work in community. So, but you can only get gather that evidence for yourself. And it's that evidence that will fuel you to continue your practice. So we hope you get out there and try it. Yeah. As always, we love to hear from you. Please share your insights with us in the sandbox or write to us at innermba at soundstrue.com. And thanks for being part of the Inner MBA and for both the inner and outer work you do to benefit others. <laughs>